Welcome to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. Blood Bowl's back, season two has begun, and in this episode, we'll be discussing week one of the Chaos Cup. This season, we're changing the podcast format to be a weekly discussion of the league and the game of Blood Bowl. In writing scripts in the previous format, it became clear that content would run out a lot faster than we'd want it to. So instead, we'll still discuss the basics of Blood Bowl, but we'll do it in the context of the league's games. You can follow along with the league streams over at twitch.tv slash avaunit02, that's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number 2, and you can watch archive games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. Without further ado, let's get into this week's games. I'm Avi Unit 2, and I'm here today with Clyphus. Clyphus is the current Battle Bowl champion, and he is in first place in the Season 2 Chaos Cup. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. What about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I'm glad Blood Bowl is back. I've, I've been hankering to play. Me too. I, I feels like forever since the Battle Bowl ended and this one began. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm... I'm glad to get back in. Uh, the Battle Bowl was super fun. Mixed leagues uh, are always uh, wacky. I'm glad to get back into uh, standard play, though. I'm a little more comfortable with that. <laughs> so we'll see how uh, the other teams adapt after playing uh, mixed teams. Mixed teams are complicated. They're really hard. Yeah, it was that was nuts. There was so much going on with every team. People would have eight different positionals on a team. Yeah, that that was that, that was intense. Yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard to uh, to wrap your head around. Uh, really hard to perform well, and so uh, congratulations on your win in the Battle Bowl. Thank you. All right, we are in a new season. It's season two of the Mid Atlantic Mauling League. If you are unfamiliar, there are four competitions in a season. Three of them are opens. Everyone is invited to play, whether they're new or veteran players. The three winners from those competitions will go on to the Blood Bowl. The Blood Bowl is an invitational. It's the championship competition. So we've we've kicked off the Chaos Cup. We're in the middle of week one. Three games have been played so far. We have two games left in week one. One of them will be tonight at the time of this recording. First game this week was uh, a minor matter at Nehide Enuffle. Nehide Enuffle, that's uh, your team, right? That is indeed my team. So the, my Chaos Dwarf team for the year and uh, for the season, I guess. So, yeah, and going up against uh, a minor matter and his uh, Underworld team. Yeah, that was, a, that was a very good game. Obviously, you're in first place right now with a TD differential of three. You won three to zero in that game. How do you think that game went from your perspective as, as, as a Chaos Dwarf coach? Other than uh, one minor little issue, it went really well for me. Um, <laughs> The I I got very fortunate with some of the uh, the dice rolls. You know, I was getting a lot of armor breaks, especially in the first half. Uh, so that was a you know very beneficial, uh, getting some good possessions and be able to move the ball. And the the matchup, you know, Underworld has a lot of goblins, which have dodge they're very evasive right. for you know most teams but against dwarves with block and tackle as opposed to one side of the die being dangerous to a goblin three sides of the die are dangerous to a goblin so that was very beneficial to the chaos dwarves sure sure that's a good point i uh i think underworld teams are they're they're not bad teams by any means, but man, I think they are one of the hardest teams to play, especially at low TVs. They are just so brittle. I think I think in order to be successful, a coaches have to get really clever with their play, and b just survive that that first game or two. And uh, in both our underworld matches so far this week, that did not happen. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, both of the underworld teams took a little bit of beating took some injuries uh, had a lot of stuns and ko's which given that the majority of their uh, their players have an av of seven that's a little bit to be expected uh, especially if they can't stay 
away from the other team, which, you know, is a little bit difficult when you've got to move the ball. It's very true. Artificial Bunny was the coach or is the coach of a minor matter. He's new to the league. He's not new to Blood Bowl, from what I understand. I I think he went into this. I think he went into this well. I you know it's not often that I say people get boned by the dice. A lot of times in a dicey game like Blood Bowl, people blame the dice. But man, he he did not have good roles in this game. <laughs> no, I mean that certainly. I like to take credit and things like, but there was definitely a lot of the dice, especially, like I said, in the first half that were not going, you know, in his favor. And that cost him a a few very uh, important positions there early on and got some very unfortunate KO stuns and injuries that, you know, was a very difficult situation to be in, but definitely never gave up. He was a fighter all the way through the game, looking for every opportunity that he could, making the best of every situation. Uh, you know, and that's the extent of what you can do. If, you know, the, the dice aren't in your favor on a day. You got to try to do what you can do. And uh, and that's not to take away from your your victory either. I think he played. Uh, I think he played very very well, as as is uh, indicative or as is sort of standard of the way you play blood ball. Uh, but do you think because so because he had bad die rolls and because at least in my opinion, and I have to imagine your opinion as the coach as well, you were playing your Chaos Dwarf team well. Do you think he should have changed up his strategy at all? So he, he was playing to win that game, which is certainly, that's that's the coach's prerogative, and that's that's a way to go. But man, I think personally, if I was the Underworld team and I was just getting beaten down by Nuffle, <laughs> I, I, I might have pulled back. I might have started running away. How do you how do you feel about his um, his aggressiveness, his his continuing to go after the ball, try to score, try to get on the board, try to win or maybe even eke out a tie? I I think up until his goblin didn't manage to pick up the ball at the beginning of the second half, you know, I think he still was in it. I think that he was doing everything he could to try to get possession away, you know, after nine straight failed attempts to pick up the ball to start the second half. Uh, You know, there was no reason for him not to try to get his goblin in there. After he lost possession there and I managed to get possession of the ball, he still was very aggressive. I don't know if that really cost him at that point. The majority of the injuries and armor breaks that happened happened in the first half while there was still a lot of question as to which way the game was going. Uh, so I don't think that it cost him by continuing to stay aggressive, continuing to try to be in the game for the second half. You know, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. It, it's really difficult to to give up in a in a game. When in the second half, your bull centaurs, which are, in my opinion, one <laughs> of the best players in the game, uh, you unfortunately lost one. He uh, he tripped over the ball, <laughs> broke his back. <laughs> But, uh... Yeah, <laughs> failed, a, <laughs> failed a GFI with sure feet um, and managed to get himself a permanent injury for his trouble. Uh, yeah, that was not great. Uh, that happened towards the end of the first half, and that significantly changed uh, how I was able to play the, the second half because I no longer had the other Strength 4 player to try to work with so i had only strength three players as my other bull centaur was trying repeatedly for about four straight turns to pick up the ball before he finally gave up and let a hobgoblin have a chance uh but yeah that they're at a they're at 130k they cost you 130k right so yeah are are you gonna are you gonna keep them on the roster i I guess you probably have to yeah i given that you know the injury isn't affecting him at this point i looked at it as I could either try to do one of two things with him. I can either try to make him a ball carrier where hopefully he won't get very many blocks and therefore won't take more injuries. So the additional plus one to the injury rolls hopefully wouldn't be as big of a factor. Or I could just continue to use him, not let him get uh, the ball, let the other bull centaur hopefully score, uh, get a few levels. And then if I ever have the money, replace him at that point. But 130K, you're talking you know, maybe three games worth decent winnings from games. 
that's a lot to ask. So with the injury he's got, certainly for the moment, he's sticking around. Uh, next game, he's out anyway. So, But I, I imagine you'll see him back in game three. It's unfortunate, too. He's the one. It was the other Bull Centaur, uh, Boulder Dash. He's the one that gained the SPP. Uh, uh, blasphemy. He's got nothing. So he's he's that much further away from leveling up, maybe picking up, picking up a skill that might mitigate that, that injury, like a, like a block or something. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to need that. He's going to be farther behind. So depending on what I decide to do, game three, you know, he may wind up trying to score to, you know, pick up some uh, SPP, hopefully move him on towards being more useful. Because, yeah, that's the thing. He was injured relatively early in the game, didn't get to get any SPP, didn't get any injuries, didn't score any TDs. So, yeah, that's going to put him farther behind, but hopefully not so far behind that uh, he won't be able to catch back up. I guess we'll I guess we'll see. There's still uh, at least four more weeks just in this competition alone. So I guess we'll see what happens to him. I it's my team's an Elven team. I I fully expect half of them to die, <laughs> just just to die. So I don't know what it's going to be like to have have somebody who's on the bench and then pull them back up and then maybe make a career out of them. I think Artificial Bunny uh, in. Early in the second half. So so speaking of the Bull Centaurs, the Bull Centaurs, fantastic players. They have a movement allowance of six. They have a strength of four, which gives them uh, a straight-up two-die block on, on most players. They have an AV of nine, so they're resilient. They have they have sure feet. They have... What else do they have? Sprint and... Sprint. Thick yeah. skull. Yeah. Thick skull. So yeah. they get three GFIs, and they get a free reroll on one of those. Their big yep. weakness, of course, is their AG of two. So if you can get the ball in the hands of a bull centaur, that's a very strong ball carrier to have. And you alluded to that earlier when you mentioned maybe getting, getting one of them out as a, as a ball carrier. But I think Artificial Bunny really honed in on that weakness in the beginning of the first half. You had an AG of two. That means it's a 50-50 for you to pick up the ball. You just couldn't do it. And he... He got so close to, to snatching that ball away and, and getting a TD early in the second half. I thought that was I thought that was really smart play on his part. Oh, yeah. That that move with his getting his team down the middle while I was just struggling to pick up the ball, uh, getting that goblin in. That ball was definitely greased or something because, you know, it <laughs> could easily his goblin could have leapt in there, picked up the ball, stepped out, scored a TD that turn. Uh, but. You know, unfortunately, the you know the goblin had just about as much luck as everybody else had up till that point, so it, it didn't work out for him. But that was a great strategy, and you know this goblin just sneaking all the way back there because I was struggling to pick up the ball really worked out. Yeah, and uh, after all is said and done, he had how many how many injuries were in your game? Five was it? There were five. If you include my, my dwarf getting injured by a rock being thrown. And the very last uh, kickoff event of the last turn of the game, there were five injuries. So that was lots so, of injuries that game. I don't know if a lot of coaches know this. Uh, I often treat the stadium upgrades as money sinks. If I have too much money in my treasury, I'll just get a stadium upgrade. But there is an upgrade that will negate that that kickoff event entirely. Uh, yeah, I think it's called I, a security I, gate. Yep. And... If I ever may, at this point, I, I have at least one bull centaur that I could replace before I'd probably want to look for, uh, you know, stadium upgrades or anything like that. So we'll we'll see. Uh, I, like all the other coaches, you never feel like you have enough money at the beginning. Uh, even if you roll well on your game, chances are you're not going to wind up with, uh, you know, everything that you want. It's true. It's very true. Um, that's often why a lot of coaches will favor fan factor. Fan factor is a factor. What a, what a poor choice of words is a factor in, uh, in your earnings at the end of the game. I think what was interesting about, about your game against artificial bunny and a minor matter is even though he had a ton of casualties, if you look at his roster, he, he went into it with 12 men. He came out of it with 11. So he's ready to go for week two. And I think that's, especially for new coaches, I think that's something to keep in mind with these. If, if you are not injured, if you're not, or if you don't have a permanent injury, rather, you're good to go. Like, yeah, you, you might be down the game. You might be down to eight, seven, six players. I think at one point he was down to six or five players on the pitch, maybe less. 
something like yeah i was a time i think he had three injured and three ko'd something like that maybe it was two ko'd but yeah it, yeah it, it might be tough tough to win the game but so long as you're not injured you're or of course dead you're back in it next week so maybe maybe his aggressive play style wasn't so bad again at the beginning of the second half he went in very very quickly to take advantage of your low ag almost pulled it off uh, i was rooting for him <laughs> yeah everyone was rooting uh, but, uh, for bud <laughs> that's right uh but it didn't work out but if it did it could have been a very different ball game oh it absolutely could have I was very concerned about that. That was one of the big reasons why I had my bull centaur eventually just give up on picking up the ball because I just wanted to get the ball in the hands of somebody who had a slightly better chance of picking it up. So, I mean, Hobgoblins only, still only have an AG of three, but at that point, that, that seemed a lot higher than the AG of two that I'd been working with, so I gave it a shot, and it worked out. Sure, it's it, at least it's better than 50-50. Yeah, uh, I noticed in the first half you were up. Uh, you went up fairly quickly, one zero, and then you. Ele- I thought for sure you were going to foul. You were you were up a few players at that point, but instead you decided to go two zero. Was that an intentional? Was that to intentionally gain more touchdowns? Or was that to uh, have more control of your SPPs? Are, are you just averse to fouling, or did you not want to take the chance and get called off the pitch? So there wasn't. A lot of advantage to fouling. The thing about the Underworld team, other than the troll, which would be relatively difficult to uh, to get an effective foul on to begin with, the players are not super expensive, and I don't have any particularly cheap players. I mean, my Hobgoblins are 40k, the Goblins that he has are 40k. I was looking at the odds, and it wasn't that great that I was going to actually take anybody out of the game with a foul. And I already had, I, I realized having player advantage, you could compound on that, but I don't think that that was going to do me a lot of good. I figured I was going to get more advantage in the long run by trying to get SPP. My hope had been to get two touchdowns on the bull centaur so that I'd be able to get a level on him. Wound up getting a level on a hobgoblin instead, which, you know, is okay, but certainly would have rather it been on the bull centaur. But that was my thought process was one, I had enough of a player advantage that I thought that, you know, I had a reasonable chance of being able to score again, or at the very least have get some more hits in. Whereas I thought if I just tried to stall or otherwise wasn't really doing a whole lot, you know, I was kind of wasting some potential uh, benefit to the team in the long run. And uh, I think the cost you bring up is a very good point too. Those goblins are only 40 K they're, they're really inexpensive. And uh, that frees up a coach to, to do more with them. Goblins, of course, are the canonical foulers. Goblin teams, you know, are, are sort of kitted out to foul. Right. Uh, but because they're so cheap, you can throw them into situations that you might not want to throw a more expensive player into. And I think that's something for coaches to keep in mind moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, game two this week was Tracksuit Mafia at Irish Wristwatch. Man, that that Irish Wristwatch, man, those names. Let me tell you. <laughs> They, they are just so easy to pronounce. They're, they just roll off the tongue naturally. I, just I, I re- know they they really do. Other than that one player, uh, uh, he he's you know, dead now. I don't have to worry about it. He is dead now. Steve, I think it was maybe. Steve, I'm not really yeah, sure. Somebody somebody said somebody in chat said it was Steve, but that doesn't sound right at all. That it it really weird. doesn't. I mean, I don't I don't think that that makes any sense but you know uh yeah that was another chaos versus underworld another underworld it's interesting to me that this competition there's duplicates on a fair number of teams there's two lizardmen there's two underworld there's two uh necromancer and then more of a kind of category there's two elf teams and then two chaos teams chaos and chaos dwarves so yeah i was really a lot of I was really surprised by that. I, I actually think the Elven teams are in a bit of a pickle. I guess we'll find out tonight, again, at the time of this recording, uh, since that will be uh, the Pips Pippy Fan Club versus the Neglected of Nuffle. Neglected of Nuffle are pro-elves or Elven Union. But the Elven teams are up against what I would consider a very bashy lineup. They've got there's Chaos and Chaos Dwarves, which are 
decidedly bashy. There are two Necro teams, which are decidedly bashy. Uh, and then you have Underworld, which could be kitted out to be bashy. So I, I guess we'll see how the Elven teams play out. They're certainly not not at a disadvantage. I Not necessarily at a disadvantage. Uh, they can, if they survive their first game or two, I think they're going to be a real pain for all the other teams in the league just because there aren't other teams that really have I think a solid answer for an Elven offense. Right. Um, but yeah, so uh, Tracksuit Mafia, coached by Merrick, he is the reigning Chaos Cup champion. He played Dwarves in the Season 1 Chaos Cup. And Irish Wristwatch, coached by Wenger, he is the season runner-up. He's second place to Nick Satan in uh, last year's Blood Bowl. He's playing the Underworld team. Tracksuit Mafia came out on top 2-0. Um, yeah, and if a minor matter took a little bit of a licking but if anything you know irish wristwatch possibly came out even the worst for wear from that game took four injuries including one fatality and one permanent injury so you know he got knocked around a fair amount which to me was a little bit surprising uh because of the lack of tackle and block on the starting chaos team starting chaos players i mean sure Nine out of the 11 players have horns, but really that's the only ability on the entire chaos or the only skill on the entire chaos lineup. But Merrick managed to make use of that, get a lot of two uh, dice uh, blitzes off of his beastmen, used his minotaur to good effect, got an injury off from his minotaur, which is a good step towards him. So that was very well played, very bashy. Uh, he... I, I was surprised with how bashy it was. I, again, this is my prerogative. I would have, I would have pulled back a little bit. And I, I think chaos teams really shine at higher TVs once they start getting claws and piling on and mighty blow. But man, he did play that super bashy. And you're right, he played it very well. He was very cognizant of his blocks. He's, you know, he understands the value of a two die block versus a one die block. He used the Minotaur very well, I thought. And it worked out to his advantage. He he was in control, uh, I would say, almost the entire game. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, he had possession and basically there was very little uh, that Vigor could do uh, towards the end of both of the, the halves where... Merrick had possession and he just surrounded his ball carrier with five or six other players. There was no way that, you know, anyone on Irish wristwatch was going to be able to get in there, get at the ball carrier. So he was pretty safe just to stall for as long as he wanted. And that was what he chose to do there. Uh, and Merrick also was, and I'm not sure whether this was his plan or whether it worked out that way. But even though he got 15 SPP, he still didn't get a level on uh, any of his players because he spread his SPP out to the, uh, to a very high extent. That's, that's a very good point too. I would say typically uh, coaches favor spreading out their SPP. Uh, again, this is this, I mean, this is part of the game. Uh, this this gets deep into Blood Bowl strategy, but picking up that first skill, depending on your team, is often pretty important. Oftentimes you'll see coaches go after that first skill right out of the gate on game one. He, whether deliberately or otherwise, he's spread out his SPP very well. He's got uh, five SPP each on two Beastmen. He's got another Beastman with three SPP. He's got two SPP on that Minotaur. So he could be looking at uh, multiple level ups game two. Oh, yeah. That'll give him some uh, some choice, right? Like he can decide, uh, all right, I've got three guys, three guys to level up. Maybe this beast man's becoming a blocker. Maybe, you know, this guy's going to be a runner. Who knows? Right. And and that's that's an interesting question as to for the next game that uh, that Merrick plays, whether or not he'll put the three beast men who you know, have SPP on them whether he'll use them in a way, whether he'll try to score with them, whether he'll try to use them for, you know, injuries to try to get that last couple of, uh, of SPP, whether, you know, if he has possession and can't score, whether he'll try to have one of his beastmen actually make a pass just to get the one point that uh, they need to get that last uh, point up to level one or level two. Sure. Yeah. And um, I mean, with the AV of eight, that's the lowest AV he has on the team. I have to imagine if he's going to put them out there, coaches are going to mark those those high SPP players and 
try to shut down that level up. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. And for uh, for Iris Wristwatch, you know, still got seven SPP, and the fact that all of the SPP that he got is on his Skaven as opposed to being on a Goblin or something like that, I think is going to be helpful for him. Generally, at least I would think for these teams would probably want the uh, you know the SPP on your more durable players, on your more expensive players. Like we were talking about, there's not really super durable players on uh, the Underworld team. Uh, but getting it on your thrower and on your blitzers and things like that certainly gives you more options. Yeah, and I think he'll be better for that. Uh, he's got two SPP on one of the blitzers and five on one of the throwers. And I think that speaks to Wenger as a coach. Again, he's he was the runner-up last year. I think he played, uh, honestly, I think he played this Underworld team as as good as anyone could. They are, they are very brittle. I, I think they're... I think they're really tough to get started. You know, when at the low TVs, they're just, they're so brittle and they don't have the strength. But uh, again, he had the um, the presence of mind. Uh, I assume he had the presence of mind to put the SPP where he wanted it. Uh, his injuries ended up being one, uh, he, he lost a goblin. Who cares, right? 40K. And then he has an injured Skaven lineman. Again, who, who really cares? The unfortunate part is he started with a 12-man line. He'll be down to a 10-man line going into week two. So he'll have to pick up a journeyman. I imagine he'll be fine with that. But I I was really impressed with how he played this Underworld team despite you know losing the game 0-2. This is such a tricky team to play. You've got to... like People understand Skaven, right? They're fast. You know, If you have a, a thrower or a catcher, they have options. Uh, they're hard to catch. Understood. You get you get dodge on one. Now they're hard to knock down. Everybody gets that. Goblins, uh, people understand a little less, but you know they're they're super cheap. They have stunty. They have dodge. They can breach a defensive line or even an offensive line very easily. Uh, on offense, they can you know breach a line, receive a pass, or just take a handoff, breach a line, and score. On defense, they can breach a line and come in for an assist very easily. We saw Wenger do that in the batter bowl as well, very effectively. But there's also the troll. The troll can throw these goblins and he tried to do it. But his his mistake here as a coach was that he didn't feed Worcestershire before the match. That was the problem. Uh, that's a problem. A lot of coaches, you know, that's a mistake they make. You just, you got to feed them very well, right? Or else yeah. they're just going to eat your teammate. Yeah, and as we saw, you know, that there were a lot of, you know, events that happened, like the, the chance of always hungry eating a goblin. It's half and roll snake eyes. Same thing has happened to my, uh, my bull centaur. These things seem like, oh, well, you know, what are the chances of doing that? Well, as we saw, <laughs> not as low as you might think, because we got to see both of those uh, over a couple of days and... He tried to throw that goblin, tried, you know, to use it to intercept the ball and just didn't work out at that point. It's true. Uh, that's part of the reason why I love this game so much. But had it worked out, I think that also points to Wenger understanding underworld teams a little more than I do. And I think a little more than most do. And I'm very, I'm very eager to see where he takes this team moving forward. Uh, Artificial oh, Bunny, too. Like, congrats to him for just for picking such a difficult team to, to be your, your first team in the league. So uh, very excited to see where they, these two coaches take these two teams. Uh, all right. Third game of the week was Pity the Ghoul at Dead Man's Party. This was, this was a Necro Mirror match. This was uh, Dead Fred coaching Pity the Ghoul versus Malik versus, uh, coaching Dead Man's Party, both veterans to the league. Uh, both with very similar rosters. Dead Fred picked up the extra TRR instead of the extra werewolf. I think Malik brought uh, what I would consider a typical Necro team. And Pity the Ghoul came out 2-0 in that game. I, I think the thing I noticed uh, immediately when watching that game was Malik tried to play this Necro team uh, almost like a chaos team. He was super, super bashy with it. And Necro is a bashy team. But... When you look at a, a Necro lineup, I would say your key players are your Flesh Golems and your Werewolves. And what Pity the Ghoul did, what Dead Fred did very effectively, I thought, was he he noticed that 
and then he shut those players down. So at at uh, a number of points in the match, you saw Dead Fred would mark a flesh golem, and then Malik would take the block. Uh, but I think Dead Fred was okay with that because so long as that flesh golem is blocking whoever Dead Fred uh, Dead Fred threw at him. That flesh golem is not getting into the play. He's not getting into the drive. He's not getting to the ball. And Dead Fred did that with all of his key players, which I thought was really, really smart by Dead Fred. Yeah, absolutely. And also the, you know, they both identified that the werewolves, you know, with the movement of eight are the most mobile by far. Necromant teams are not exactly legendary for their speed, with the exception of the werewolf and to a similar extent, the ghoul. But there were the fouls on the werewolves the attempts to keep them out i think that on a couple of occasions both of the coaches looked to try to block the other team's werewolf not necessarily because it was at any threat at that point but just because they were trying to take it out of the game because they realized uh, the danger of that although even with that and all of the the possessions that the werewolves had it was still the ghoul uh, that actually scored all of the tds uh, in that game yeah, yeah, the ghoul got both TDs. He he leveled up, and so he'll get a skill. Uh, the ghoul's skills come from agility and, and and then general. So what he picks up on that ghoul, I don't know. Uh, I think ghouls are not bad. They're decent ball carriers. They're decently fast. Uh, stats are decent other than the, the AV. Um, and then, of course, they have dodge. So um, right. not bad. Not bad for his ghoul MacGyver. Uh, to pick up those SVPs. He also picked up five SVPs on one of the zombies too. Uh, and he could start kidding out these bo- zombies with something. Like if he can pick up block on a zombie, that's that's super good. Yeah. And if he gets blodge on MacGyver, I mean, that'll make, you know, MacGyver even more difficult to uh, to take down. He's already fast and has dodge. Give him blodge and there's not a lot of players uh, that are going to have an easy time, you know, taking him down, even if they manage to intercept him. Sure. I think uh, Dead Man's Party, I think Malik got a little, I don't know if it's lucky, but uh, he got two SVP on one of his zombies. He picked up MVP on that zombie too. So he has one zombie that's about to level up. I I actually think that's going to be helpful. I I tend to favor wanting to level someone up ASAP. Um, And if he does too, maybe this will work out for him. Even though he he lost 2-0, he's still got his full roster. Uh, He has two werewolves. And honestly, I tend to favor... Dead Man Party's roster, Malik's roster, more than Dead Fred's. Dead Fred picked up the extra TRR, uh, and I certainly don't think that that roster is wrong or bad. Uh, it's just a trade-off, right? He said, "I'm going to get that extra TRR because now they're worth, or now they cost 140k. That's a lot of money, uh, right. especially when you're talking getting from two TRRs to that crucial three TRRs." He said, "I'm just going to take it right from the get-go when it's cheap. I've got all three. I don't need a second werewolf." Uh, but man, werewolves are so good. I I would probably do the same thing Mallet did and take two. The problem is you can't you can't get them locked down. You've got to make sure they're always available. You know they've got claws, they've got frenzy. Speaking of, uh, Malik fell into uh, uh, an unfortunate trap, and I think Dead Fred. In, after looking back on the game, uh, I think Dead Fred did this on purpose, and I think it was very very clever on his part. But uh, Malik went in for the the frenzy. Frenzy, uh, if you're unfamiliar, frenzy means that if you have a push block, you have to follow up. up if your first block is a push block, you have to follow up and take the block again. So he took the two die block, got a push out of it. So he had to follow up, and then he found himself on in an uphill block situation, which cost him on that werewolf. And I think Dead Fred set up his players to do that on purpose. So that was good presence of mind by him. Uh, and it also shows uh, sort of the difficulty of playing with Frenzy, right? If if you can make sure both your blocks are two-die blocks, Frenzy can be devastating. It can, it can surf players. It's more chances to knock players down. But if you find yourself on the wrong side, oh, man, now you're lose, you're have the potential to knock down or lose one of very few players that are critical to your lineup. Yeah. And... One of the werewolves also got used the frenzy to do like what you were just talking about, to get a surf in. And I I do wonder whether they had an option for a knockdown the first time and chose to do the push. You know, it's sometimes difficult to tell because the dice goes by so fast. 
But, you know, I've certainly seen coaches with frenzy intentionally take a push, even if they had a knockdown option. This often comes later when they've got a block and things like that and could take both down as actually a, a knockdown, but pass up a, a good block to try to get that surf to get a player out for the half or for the draw. Yeah, I've, yeah, absolutely. That's certainly a very good tactic to, to take with a werewolf. I've seen that as well. Uh, I've also seen like, this is like big brain stuff uh, that I've seen coaches do with their werewolves. Well, they'll take a blitz. They'll get the frenzy follow-up to get that, that extra space out of it and then continue movement. So they get just a little faster. And I, I think that just really heightens werewolves to just to really be worth their money. Uh, they are they are such a pain to deal with. Having two yeah. of them, I think, is going to uh, help him in this competition. Uh, I think I think Dead Man's Party just needs to make sure that their key players don't get locked down. And in turn, I think uh, opponents are going to be laser focused on trying to lock them down. Right, like trying to make sure those flesh golems can't can't be a threat. Trying to make sure those werewolves can't be a threat. Right, and. And I think both of the necromantic teams are going to be especially dangerous going into week two because both of them are completely intact. They're still going to be able to do exactly their same game plan. Neither of them, I mean, they didn't just not lose any critical players. They didn't lose any players. There were no injuries. I don't even think there were any injuries that had to be regenerated in the game. Um, I think that both of them just didn't have any uh, actual injuries. So they're going to be going into week two with their full lineups, possibly being able to buy even a 12th player if they choose to. They both have the money in the bank right now to buy another player uh, if they choose to. Yeah, and that's that's really the thing that makes Necro such a pain, right? You work so hard. You work so hard to injure a player, and then the Necromancer just says, nah, not today, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's... It worked out, and both of them, you know, like I said, they're going to both be able to to move on to the next game, and you know, we'll have to see what MacGyver levels up into, and that might give us an idea as to what uh, Dead Fred's intent is uh, to kind of kit out his team in the long term. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the success on for both these teams is really depend. Again, I, I've mentioned uh, making sure your key players are in the drive, but also uh, making sure you're taking blocks that forward whatever your strategy is right like if you're on if you're in a cage and you're trying to open a hole then take the blocks to open up a hole if you are in a screen and you're trying to keep your distance then make sure you're you're taking that blitz to get you into position to get a bunch of a bunch of additional blocks with uh with two dice and not not take the the arbitrary blocks like it's easy with a bashy team to just go in and just hit everyone that's right in front of you but with a team like this you know, where you only have three or four players that are really doing the work. I, I think it's all the more critical to make sure that whatever blocks you're taking are forwarding whatever your game plan is. Yeah, absolutely. And there were definitely a few skirmishes off to the side that weren't particularly uh, involved in the actual drive, but I'm sure that they were trying to get some injuries, trying to get some field advantage there, but none of that really seemed to work out. Uh, for either of them that game. Sure. Uh, I'm I'm not going to begrudge a cage match, though. If they want to beat each other up, more power to them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, we've got two games left this week. Uh, the next one coming up is Neglected of Nuffle at Pips Pippi Fan Club. Neg uh, Neglected of Nuffle, coached by War Horseman. This is a pro-elf team uh, versus Pips Pippi Fan Club, which are lizard men lizard men man oh man this this team lizard men are i think they're great i think they're tough they are the very definition of a bashy team they're the sauruses strength four and you can have six of them yeah. get out of town <laughs> and pips pippy fan club does in fact have six of them oh, so he is oh. He is going all in on uh, the Bashisaurus action there uh, against Neglected of Nuffle. And as with, I believe, all of the elves, I mean, I guess there's the Tree Man, which has more than uh, three strength on the Wood Elf team. Uh, but we won't be seeing any of those for a while, at least. All of the elves are some amount of movement. 
three, four, some amount of AV, uh, mostly sevens and eights in that category. Well, mostly sevens for the elves. <laughs> uh, so it it's going to be an issue for them. I mean, the sources have an AG of one. So the elf teams are going to be able to be far more maneuverable, be able to take dodges that the sources just would find impossible. You know, and also the speed on the elven teams is going to be you know, a little bit faster. But sources aren't slow. I mean, sources have a movement of six, which that's as fast as the linemen for neglected of Nuffle. So they're not really going to be able to just run away, you know, from them. And the skinks with a movement of eight, they can probably catch... Uh, anybody that tries to get away, they won't have a lot of luck stopping the elves from going around them, but they certainly can try to get in the way, uh, do what they can in that regard. Sure. And and with that MA of eight and they're stunty and they have dodge, they're just better goblins. They're more expensive, but they've got an AG of three. They've got that super speed. Uh, they can get in and lend an assist whenever they want. They are decent in the passing game. They're decent ball carriers. Uh, the Saruses all have that strength of four. Not only do they have a strength of four, but they have an MA of six, which is not bad. Uh, their big weakness, of course, is their AG of one. And then he's got uh, the big guy, the Croxagore. He's got the uh, pre- uh, Mighty Blow and Prehensile Tail. So that Prehensile Tail can uh, subtract one from a dodge, but I, I don't know how effective that will be on the elven team that that can basically lock down maybe a a less agile player but with everybody on elven team having an ag of four it's certainly not bad but i i don't i don't know where that croc score is going to go i don't know if he's going to play center uh like a lot of people typically play their big guys or if he's going to go hunting with that croxador but those saruses are going to beat up everyone they're just going to beat up everyone i think neglected of nuffle and i am very I'm, I'm coloring my opinion here because i have the same matchup <laughs> i have the same matchup on sunday but man if if i were the neglected of nuffle i i think so so that elven offense right like let's talk let's talk elves a little bit uh yeah. an elven roster everybody's got ag of four right so uh this is super duper powerful this is this is wackadoo powerful so powerful that it's been it's been nerfed in BB in the BB twenty twenty rules, um, but that's not what we're playing. We're playing uh, LRB six. So AG four across the board is insanity. They can they're fantastic ball carriers. They can you can have a good passing game even without a thrower and a catcher. It certainly helps because throwing is is the riskiest play in blood ball. Right? There's so many die rolls that can be in a pass. But they are such a threat, and you combine that with their speed. Now, pro elves aren't the fastest elves, uh, but they're still decently fast. Uh, you combine that with their speed, and it is just really hard to stop them from scoring uh, unless you also have the speed and the agility to match. So I don't think they're going to have a problem scoring on offense, even if they go down a few players. Uh, it's just so hard to do. I think on defense... That's the problem, right? They're, yeah, you know, almost AV is seven for everybody on the on the roster going up against this incredibly strong lizardman team. I, I mean, I, I'll tell you right now, my game plan is is to just zone it out, right? Just I, I think you keep the offense to one blitz a turn. Anything more than that, and you are just you are just you're giving up your strategy to the die to the dice right yeah uh i think i think you don't have a choice but to zone them out i think you just you stay back and you just don't get hit even if the lizardmen score so long as you just slow them down a bit and you don't get hit i think that's a win on defense yeah and especially with uh, neglected of nuffles team he's got two throwers three catchers Sure, he's got the blitzers and stuff like that. Maybe they'll try to go after, you know, a skink here and there or something like that. But I I would be very surprised if he's trying to put his blitzers toe-to-toe with a Saurus unless, you know, for some reason one Saurus goes wandering off by itself and happens to get in the way. But, I mean, you don't want to be sticking around getting tied up by a bunch of Sauruses because 
sure if there's one okay you can step back and you've got to dodge you know that you only fail on a one but if you get a saurus on each side of you then things can get a little bit hairier and you can get boxed in pretty well and have some trouble getting away uh but sure, i certainly I think agree. it looks like i certainly think it looks like neglected of nuffle uh is looking to have a passing game here and if he you know like you said just has a little bit of a line of skirmish there tries to stay back for the sources but with the ability to have three catchers all over the pitch and two throwers so he could easily move the ball all the way across the pitch you know in a single turn i mean he could hand off from one player he'd hand off from one thrower to the other have the thrower go to the extent of its range pass to a catcher you know all downfield very easy for them to potentially score any opening that uh, Pips Pippi fan club leaves there. You know, I think that, uh, you know, Collective Nuffle has the ability to, you know, potentially exploit. But like you said, it's going to be on their defense when they've got six Sauruses thundering down the field, bearing down on them. How do you how do you do that? How do you safely put up a defense uh, and slow them down enough to, you know, potentially bring out the win? without risking all of your AV7 players up against, uh, you know, strength four blocks turn after turn. Yeah, I, I think if on defense, um, again, I, I think if you just stay alive, you've done your job. But if he wants to get tricky about it, I, I think if he wants to try to funnel Pips Pippy fan club down a wide zone. Uh, so if you can get the offense down in a wide zone, you've basically cut off their lateral movement, which means you can collapse your defense down and go two deep, three deep, right? And you're so right. fast that if they want to move laterally, you can do that too, no problem. If he wants, if he can sort of trap the, the Lizardman team, uh, the Pipsipi fan club, into a wide zone, he does have those two blitzers with sidestep. Now, sidestep, of course, is always great on a receiver, but on something like a blitzer, that's really good too. If if you can just find that crack, if you can find that opening to take a blitz, you can take what might be a risky blitz, say like on the corner of a cage, and be okay with it because when you get blocked down, you get to choose on a push, you get to choose where you're going and you can just push yourself right back out of the cage. So you don't have to worry about those multi-blocks uh, that you typically have to worry about when going in on the cage. So I think this could be a real threat to sort of steal the ball away from a cage if he can pull that off. Absolutely. And I want to talk a, a, just a little bit about, you know, since again, we've got a bunch of teams that are same, uh, same team, the difference between uh, Nick Satan's team, a reptile dysfunction and the Pips Pippi fan club, because Nick Satan opted to go with only four Sauruses uh, and six skinks, as opposed to six, sauruses and four skanks so i was curious to see how any thoughts about that man i i think what he is so i think going with so many skinks he is looking for ball control uh, i think on offense he's looking for options to move this ball around the pitch i think he sees these sauruses he sees the ag one he says if they get locked down i can't move and also on defense i think he thinks with the skinks he can, again, get more options on movement, and he can say, now I can take my four Sauruses, uh, I can move two Skinks, get them in position for an assist, and now I've got my strength four Saurus in there, and now I've got a three-die block. That's what I think he's trying to do with these six Skinks. I think it gives him more options on defense for mobility, and on offense, I think it gives him more opportunity to increase the hurt on these Sauruses when they take their blocks. I think he's looking for those three-die blocks. And that, that's certainly possible. It also looks like he's uh, hoping to protect, you know, some of his players. He picked up an apothecary. Uh, I'm not sure whether the apothecary is. I have to assume it's for the skinks. Uh, they're the ones I would think would be way more likely to wind up with an injury. And unlike the linemen and the, you know, the less expensive players for, you know, some of the other teams, similar to the elves, the skinks are 60k. So these are not super cheap players you know even though they're av7 they're not super durable they have dodge they have a movement of eight so they can keep themselves for the most part out of trouble but you know if one gets injured you're talking about a fair amount of effort going into replacing one that's a very that's a very good point and so maybe maybe that is his game plan maybe he he intends to leverage these skinks for all they're worth going with that 
Apothecary right off the bat is an interesting choice. It makes sense if you're going to go with so many, you know, AV7 players. Uh, but exactly what he wants to do with those uh, AV7 players, I guess we'll find out on Sunday. Uh, I, I think he's I think he's going for the big hits. Uh, he's only got two TRRs. I, I find it intriguing that he went for a fan factor right out of the bat, um, which is the only time you can buy it. And so did so did El Nuberino with Pips 50 Fan Club. He picked up two fan factor instead no apothecary so that that's not bad again fan factor affects the kickoff event table but it also affects your your winnings so maybe they're cognizant of the fact that they need money uh, or they want money uh, and they want to get out ahead of that game in the money game right uh, i think it's probably not a bad idea with a team like the lizard men who are uh, again other than the skinks are pretty pretty resilient like you look at an elven team and you go, oh, that's that's a team that wants an apothecary. And while that's true, they want an apothecary because they're going to lose players. I think, I think Nick Satan wants this apothecary because he wants to save up his money. For what? I have no idea. I I suspect this guy, <laughs> I suspect this guy is going to go heavy uh, on picking up these TRRs. I think he's I think he's going to try to really boost himself up to four TRRs very quickly. But who knows? Who's who's to say? Yeah, and I mean, speaking of uh, you know the self team that we haven't talked a whole lot about, take to wood, take to bad. You know, this is your team. Only two positionals, all the rest linemen. You know that that seems like an interesting choice. Yeah. So um, with wood elves, so and this is as opposed to this pro elves. So with the wood elves, the linemen are great. Uh, seven, three, four, seven, right? Seven movement, three strength, four agility. All elves have four agility across the board. And of course, they have the weak AV of uh, seven. But they're fast. The strength is not bad. The agility is great. But that's reflected in their cost. They're 70K. Uh, I went with uh, two war dancers because uh, I think war dancers are maybe the best player in all of Blood Bowl. They have an MA of eight. They have a decent strength of three. They have a fantastic agility of four. And they come with block. And they come with dodge. And if that wasn't bad enough, they come with leap. I think when new players look at an elven team or like a wood elf team like this, it's easy to look at the positionals. And let's be clear, the positionals are not worthless. Like catchers on a wood elf team are great. Throwers on a wood elf team are great. Uh, the Treemen are great big guys if you want to take them. I don't think I would ever take a Treemen on a Wood Elf team right out of the gate. Uh, but if you can afford it down the line, they're really good big guys, right? They're the they're they're a big guy whose negative skills don't take away their tackle zones. Sure, they get rooted, but often that's fine, right? We saw a little bit of that in the Batter Bowl. Like if a Treeman gets rooted, he's still exerting tackle zones. He still has an insane strength and insane AV. He's still eating up space on the pitch. Uh, but for a starting roster, I think two war dancers and the linemen, uh, the linemen are not nothing, right? The linemen aren't really just linemen. They're they're whatever you want them to be. Uh, again, that decent strength and fantastic agility with that crazy speed means you can use them however you want. You can, you know, they can be your ball carriers. They can be, they can be anything. The war dancers are impossible to knock down. There's one There's one face on the block die that will knock down a war dancer. They're very expensive, but they can be the ball carrier. They they are typically your blitzers because they have the block skill, and they will be the ones eating up all the SPP. All those linemen are going to die. So if you look at it, uh, an elven roster, again, with AV7, wood elves are all AV7. People are going to die. And if people are going to die, I'd rather it be linemen. So just let the linemen die. I can focus on the war dancers. Sure, that puts a target on their back, but man, you're going to have to be pumping a lot of blitzes, a lot of blocks into a war dancer with uh, block and dodge on him. The leap skill is also a fantastic skill to leverage. You can use the leap skill to leap into a cage and get that ball back, especially if you level up a war dancer and you get strip ball on him, then you can take what would otherwise be a risky block with the leaps, uh, a risky block. You can use leap skill get in and all you have to do is just push them away and strip the ball that is so huge and if uh, we talked about this a little bit with um 
with the 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 other elven team uh, neglected of Nuffle, if you can funnel a team to a wide zone, so if if this wood elf team can funnel a team to a wide zone, and maybe they maybe they set up a half cage on the sideline or something, whatever they they get the ball carrier to the sideline. Well, now that leap becomes super strong because now all you have to do is pluck a uh, pluck a corner off the cage, set up your guys in position uh, to prevent the blocks coming back, and then you leap your war dancer in. You can surf the ball carrier. You can strip the ball. You can do whatever you need to do to get rid of that ball. And I, I think a lot of people take that for granted when it comes to a wood elf team. They don't realize just how strong those war dancers are. And they don't realize that the linemen are really good, even if they're your quote unquote throwaway player. They're still super expensive. That's that's the big the big failing of a of this team, in my opinion, right? Everybody's AB7, everybody costs an arm and a leg, but linemen can still do their work. But because I have two war dancers, I'm going to be leveraging them every single turn. My SPP is going to be focused on them. And I'm going to, I, I promise you, I'm getting strip ball, <laughs> uh-huh. at least one of them, ASAP. So your team is very much a blank slate. It can grow and become basically anything. If you want to turn one of your linemen into a catcher or a thrower or a blocker, whatever it is that you want to do, you can do that. Same thing with your war dancers. You can make one uh, a ball hawk. You can make one a ball carrier. You can do whatever it is that you want because with great starting stats, other obviously than the AP line, you know, there's really not a lot they can't do. I mean, you could even look into giving one dauntless or whatever it is that you want. Dodge, your options are basically limitless because the other advantage that your linemen have as compared to most is They've got normal agility, so you can give all of your linemen dodge if you choose to. So anyone, any lineman that gets to, to level three could be a blodger. And that then means not just your war dancers have that, but you could have a couple of linemen with whatever skills you think is appropriate, whatever it looks like the competition is going to require. If you see other teams going in a certain way, you know, and you you decide, oh, I, well, I need, you know, you know, maybe you decide you need somebody who has Dauntless to go up against all of these Sauruses and Chaos Warriors and whatever else. That's something you could do as well. Yeah, and uh, I man, I tell you, if if any one of these guys, I mean, everybody's such an easy ball carrier that spreading out the SVP as I see fit is a fairly easy task. But if any one of these guys gets the ability for a trait uh, uh, a trait upgrade like a ma strength agility on players like this with a stat line of seven three four seven or with the war dancers eight three four seven any upgrade with the uh, maybe maybe not an av upgrade although that'd be fine too but any upgrade is a killer right if you if you go from ag4 to ag5 that's a killer strength three to strength four is a killer if you go from speed eight to speed nine that's a killer so uh yeah, if if I can get lucky on die rolls, or if either of us for either of our elven teams can get lucky on die rolls, that can turn a an already decent elven player into a powerhouse. Yeah, I mean, basically make yourself your own uh, gutter runner, except with a strength of three, block, leap, so you can give yourself even more options to get around uh, the defenders. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that you could conceivably do. Yeah, and an elf, like a war dancer with a strength of four, that'd just be absolutely insane. One, one of the things I chose, I think the biggest weakness for my team is the fact that I didn't bring an apothecary right from the get-go. Uh, I wanted those two war dancers very badly, and they're very expensive at 120K, and if I'm going to bring those two war dancers, I've got to bring at least two TRRs. That's another 100K. Uh, and then I just need to fill out my roster, which leaves me with not enough money for an apothecary. Now, I have 30K in the bank. Uh, so hopefully after game one, I can pick up that desperately needed apothecary. Uh, but the big problem, I think, with all Elven teams is that they can go horribly wrong right out of the gate. So if you lose too many players right out of the gate, it can be a death spiral <laughs> that you just can't get out of. 
yeah, I mean, that's always a possibility. Although Merrick, you know, showed in the batter bowl that don't count somebody out just because they lose a couple of elves, uh, you know, in their first game, you can come back and, you know, have a, have a good rest of your competition regardless. Sure. And we saw that in season one with um, purplish passion in season one, Camarasil uh, had a dark elf team and right out of game, uh, game number one in the season with that team, he just lost players, lost players, lost players. And it was a seeming death spiral, but uh, he pulled out of it pretty well. He ended up with uh, five level three players when all was said and done. So, yeah, he was able to pull out of it. I think uh, I think journeymen aren't as bad as many people make them out to be. They're bad because they're loners. That's really why they're not good. A lot of this game revolves around team reroll management. And when you've got a loner player, that, that just takes them out of that equation and uh, that that's why they're that's why they're poor replacements. But otherwise, you know, if you if you just need a player to to mark someone or to lend an assist or something, I mean, they're great, you know. Yeah, and you know, one of the things since I got a lot of experience with loners in the last competition is you don't feel so bad just parking them in front of the opponent's big guy and just sitting him there to take wax until he gets taken off the pitch because. You could just get another one the next game, and it's not a big loss. That's right. It's absolutely right. All right. Uh, so before we wrap up here, uh, we've got a game coming up in, what, an hour and a half uh, at the time of recording. This is going to be Neglected Nuffle, uh, neglected of Nuffle at Pips Pippi Fan Club. Any predictions for this game? Oh, man. Without having seen... Uh, you know what the strategy is going to be. I, I predict that it's going to be a much more mobile game than what we've seen so far. Given uh, neglected of Nuffles lineup, I imagine that he's going to have players all over the pitch. I think that Pips Pippi Flan, Fan Club is going to have to spread their team all over the pitch to try to match that. So I think that we're going to be looking at a lot more uh, maneuverability as opposed to just standing in a line trading punches back and forth. And obviously that's not the only thing that happened in the games up until this point, but I think that there's just going to be so much more uh, maneuverability and, you know, that's going to be a much bigger factor. So I, I think that that's going to be as far as anything else. I predict that there's going to be some injuries. Uh, I imagine some skinks might get hurt. I imagine some elves might get hurt. Be less certain that, you know, anybody's going to, take any sources out you know the elves are not particularly well suited for uh trying to hit sources frequently enough to uh to be likely to get an injury there but i think that with the the maneuverability of the elves i think that it's going to be a, a quick move around the field for neglected of nuffle and a long punchy slog for uh pips pippy fan club and i think it's going to to a certain extent, wind up as to uh, which player can get the better field position, which uh, one can better predict where the other is going. It's going to carry the day. Uh, well said. I think um, I think if War Horsemen and the Neglected of Nuffle, uh, I think they're going to have no problem on offense. I think if they can just zone out Pips Pippi Fan Club effectively, I think they have this game in the bag. The problem they're up against is twofold. One, there's six sources on this Lizard team as many Lizard teams are. And two, it's coached by El Nubarino. El Nubarino proved himself to be a fantastic uh, Skaven coach in last season. I don't know how much experience he has with Lizardmen, but I am, I have to imagine uh, he's got some. So uh, I, I'm interested to see what he's going to do with these Saruses. If he's going to go, if he's just going to go ham with them and just mark everyone and try to take hits, or if he's going to play a little more conservatively on offense and, and, move a cage but i in either way i think if the neglected of nuffle give up hits they're gonna lose if they can stop the pips pippy fan club from scoring or rather from from taking hits uh, if they can hold them to a blitz a turn and just just slow down that cage on defense i i think neglected of nuffle have this game in the bag but i will be i will be very sad if there isn't at least two injuries. I demand two injuries. 
yeah, I mean, five is still the, the number to beat for the for the first week here. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't I, I don't feel that these are going to be the games where that happens because I just don't see the elves wanting to be in a position where you know they're going to be fighting so much, either you or uh, neglected of Nuffle uh, to put themselves in that position. Uh, but but we'll see, you know, maybe that they'll decide to play super aggressive elf ball and, you know, try to quarter the skinks to get all of the uh, the ball carriers. Because, you know, one of the things that we we didn't really talk about is the skinks aren't just the best ball carrier for a lizardman team. They're basically the only ball carrier because everyone else has an AG of one. So if neglected of Nuffle were to go after all the skinks and somehow manage to uh, to take out a couple of them, that makes even the uh, offense for Pips Pippy fan club a lot more dicey because they have very limited options as to who can pick up the ball and actually carry it. That's an excellent point. Uh, if if El Nuperino and the Pips Pippy fan club uh, throw those skinks out there unprotected uh, and War Horseman has the presence of mind to, to go after them, uh, that that could be a critical a critical error on um, El Nuverino's part. Uh, so he's going to have to be careful to protect those skinks. Uh, he's yeah. got four of them. He, he does, but and with all of the players having at least a movement of six, there's going to be so many places where, you know, somebody might sneak by a spot that you didn't realize was left open. And, you know, if I was, uh, you know, War Horseman, you know, and I had the opportunity to, to go after a skink that wasn't going to put me right next to a Saurus, I would probably go for it, certainly with my Blitzers, because if you manage to take one out, that's a huge boon to your team and, you know, makes both offense and defense a lot easier for you. Well said. Well, uh, thanks for joining me today, Clavius. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad Blood Bowl's back. I am as well. I'm really excited to watch these next two games and, uh, you know, the rest of the competition, I think it's going to be really exciting. I'm very curious to see how uh, how everybody decides to work on their teams and level their players up and, uh, you know, develop over the season. Me too. All right. Well, good luck to you in week two. You as well. Good luck to you in uh, your next game coming up here in a couple of days. That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash aviaunito2. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number 2. And watch archived games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore Mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl. You can play Blood Bowl online via Blood Bowl 2 or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. I'll see you back here for episode four. Until then, be kind to each other, forgive everyone, praise Nuffle, and may he bless your dice.